Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 246, dedicated to a man who on May 23rd, 1926, became the first person to hit a home run off of the Wrigley Field scoreboard. Mr. Hack Wilson. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we will be joined by Miss Maddie Hudak as we continue Women in Sports Month here on the podcast. Miss Maddie Hudak is really good at what she does. She does sideline reporting for two-lane football. I have heard her numerous times on ESPN Radio New Orleans. She writes covering the Saints for the Saints Wire, a part of the USA Today Network, and I am oh so happy she was able to join us right here during Women in Sports Month on the Jay Stevens Podcast. Her and I instantly reacted to the fiasco, the abnormal situation going on right now between Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, and even Deion Sanders. We talk about her journey into sports media, how she got into it, and then we had really an in-depth conversation about the importance of mental health that I highly encourage everyone to encourage somebody else to listen to. But before we get to that, I got to say one thing really quickly. Happy birthday to my brother, Jeremy Allen Stevens. Some call him Jeremy. Some call him Stevens. Numerous coaches called him that when he played football, baseball, and all of the other sports. I call him Jerm like numerous, like all of his friends do. Jeremy Allen Stevens, happy birthday. He turns 31 today. He got married last August. His birthday is today. He's about to have his first son coming up in July. Happy birthday, Jeremy. I'm happy for you. And if I know my brother and I know his wife, well, mainly my brother, he probably started celebrating a day ago. Happy birthday, Jeremy. Let's go ahead and take a trip to the state of Louisiana to enjoy my fun conversation with Miss Maddie Hudak as we continue Women in Sports Month on the Jay Stevens Podcast. And joining us now here on the Jay Stevens Podcast as we continue Women in Sports Month here on the podcast, it's Miss Maddie Hudak. She is a sideline reporter on the radio for Tulane Football, and she writes for USA Today Saints Wire, Saints Wire as well. Maddie? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. No problem. <laughs> I know it's Women in Sports Month, but every now and then there's a topic or something in sports. This is even bigger than the NBA Finals, it seems like, that dominates every, every conversation we have on the radio, maybe articles that are being written, and it's Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. When you first heard Jimbo Fisher clap back at what Nick Saban said, when he was talking to his boosters, what was your initial reaction? I'm going to be honest, I had just kind of woken up and gone on Twitter. And so uh, it took me a while to really comprehend, like, what was going on. Uh, I think he let a lot of his feelings that he perhaps should have, like, written in an email and deleted public. Uh, I'm sure he'd probably have thought a little more about, like, the narcissistic comment and everything. But at the same time, I think that, you know, Nick Saban kind of started it. And so his response was a little extra, sure. But I, my, my take on the situation is Nick Saban thinks he's losing his competitive edge. And that's kind of frightening to him. And so to kind of throw stuff. And I, my, my personal thing is I think this has to do with Arch Manning, to be entirely honest mm. with you. And I think that I know that he's talked. Well, he hasn't talked. That's the thing. That's like the interesting part about all this. But I have read a couple articles saying, you know, Texas is up there. And I think, honestly, if you ask me, that's my conspiracy theory of where this is coming from. Even though, ironically, Arch Manning probably wouldn't care about the money whatsoever. But I think Saban has a point in that it's not regulated well. But his reasoning for it is where I lose him. Because he doesn't like it because it's going to affect his ability to recruit and, and monopolize the recruitment process as he's done. And when he says parody in sports, that makes me laugh out loud because mm -hmm. the, you are the definition of the antithesis of parody. Like mm -hmm. you have dominated and it is, there's been no ability, literally no ability for other teams to make any type of run at it. And also to me, it's not about the schools and that it's about a lot of kids who really could use 
money for their families. You know, uh, there was this guy that went to Tulane. His name is Devin Walker. Uh, my freshman year, he was paralyzed in the opening game. Oh, wow. And so I think of people like that and people, I think it was Justin Ross, if I'm saying that correctly, that wide receiver that got, he was projected to be like a first or second round pick. Yeah. 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 And so I think about those guys and just the fact that a lot of them college is it. And it's also, and then you read Tariq Cohen's heartbreaking players tribune piece where he talks all about how difficult his life was and how he had, you know, felt like he'd made a deal with the devil by signing an NFL deal. You know, we shouldn't be having this kind of happen when schools make so much money off of these kids and they're putting all of their time and energy into it. And, and yeah, some of them have scholarships, but that doesn't mean that their families are well off. It just means that their families aren't in a complete state of disarray trying to send them to college. So I think it's, a, a, to be honest, a bunch of salty men who are kind of making it a me problem where I see a lot of their arguments, but I, I think they could both look in the mirror at that kind of narcissist comment and realize that they're both making it about themselves rather than actually helping college kids in one way or the other. Saban generally has these moments where he sounds like the old man that's basically saying, get off my lawn. This is my territory. This is what I have been doing. Don't come over here and come up. I actually, I host Locked on Buckeyes, and I actually did a little comparison between um, Jimbo Fisher, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, their recruiting rankings. And for Jimbo Fisher to have the number one recruiting ranking right now and the highest he has had at A&M is number five, which was his first year. That was startling to me. Now, I don't follow the recruiting rankings like ranking each team. I really more care about where guys go, how they fit into the system. But with Jimbo Fisher having the number one recruiting ranking right now, well, for 20, yeah, this cycle, 2022, and then for him to have all of these transfers coming over, something is happening. It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist, doesn't right. take someone that's in his corner to realize something is going on. And honestly, Jimbo kind of clapped back like, hey, he's saying this about me. I still think Jimbo is doing something that he shouldn't be doing. I don't know what it is, but Saban sounds like that old man. Get off my lawn. Jimbo Fisher is sounding like he, there's a there's something that Saban did when they were coaching together that Jimbo Fisher has never said, yeah. but now he is voicing his, his frustration with Nick Saban, and all of a sudden it comes out where he calls. Here's the weird part. If I call a press conference, now I know coaches are late all the time, whatever. If I call a press conference, I call it, not the AD, nobody. I'm going to be responding to something. I call it a press conference. I'm going to be on time. This man was 10 minutes late, spoke for 10 minutes. The reporters were there for the entire time because they wanted. They don't know when he's, when he's going to show up. You're late to your own press conference that you called. To me, that's embarrassing, but that's the culture that is out there with college coaches. I get it. But, yeah, Saban sounds weird. Uh, Jimbo sounds weird. They're both frustrated. And I just hope at some point. We get a Jackson State-Alabama matchup. Now, it's, probably, it's going to be embarrassing. Don't get me wrong. It's probably going to be embarrassing. But for Deion Sanders to be having all these sound bites, lead, sound bites leading up to the game, on game day, and then post-game, I am here for that. Oh, you could, like, do an Oscars red carpet pregame show of that game. Like, every <laughs> single person. Because it's, it's like reality TV drama meets sports. And that is, like, a weird crossover thing. But I, I think you're right where I, I think – yeah, there probably is something going on where there's smoke, there's fire kind of thing. But don't be messy and throw stuff out at a panel like Nick Saban. And then, like, you know, just don't say that stuff out loud. Right. Unless you really want to be saying these things. Like, to say the next day, oh, I regret saying these things because then Jimbo went and got a lot of stuff off of his chest. Like, if you guys had perhaps just not been messy in public in the first place, then we wouldn't be here. And again, it's like making it about them and not about the kids. So funny, entertaining. Can't wait to see the follow-up. Uh, see if any other coaches chime in on this palooza of mess. But I agree, it was very get off my lawn. Yes, extremely. One thing that I have noticed about you is that you have fun with your job. Unlike Jimbo Fisher, who is frustrated, Saban just sounds like an old man. Deion Sanders just is being Deion Sanders, the personality that he is. You love what you do from the sidelines with Tulane, from writing for the Saints for USA Today, from the Scout Academy that you're doing right now. You love 
football. You love what you do. When did you know you wanted to have a career in sports media? Uh, to be quite honest, uh, it kind of happened almost serendipitously. You know, I got laid off during the pandemic. Uh, I was in the legal field. I'm going to be honest, I was kind of wishing to be laid off during the okay. pandemic because okay. I had wanted to leave that job for a while. I just didn't feel like I wanted to. I was in a, the legal field uh, and I had gone to school for psychology. I did jury consulting and then I moved over to the law. I got a grad degree in legal studies and then I'm sitting there realizing I don't know if the law is the right place for me. And uh, my job felt understimulating. Um, I didn't feel like I was really getting enough brain power out of it. And so I kind of had just started writing on the side about the Saints just because I was bored. Uh, and then the pandemic happened. And then everything was, you know, desolate and weird. And so sports were kind of this nice source of escapism almost. And so I got laid off in August of last or of 2020, which was you know, right around the time that things start to gear up for football. And so, you know, I'm on unemployment and I was looking for another job in my field. I still really hadn't decided, you know, sports, but I just, just, you know, was like, well, I might as well spend this time and try to just enjoy myself and kind of see what happens. And I, you know, I started gaining some traction and I realized, you know, this is what I, I always knew I wanted to be a writer in some facet. And I think I was, doing it backwards where I was trying to jump industry to industry and find a way to write within those industries. Whereas that's not very easy to do, you know, to become like a legal writer. It's a very niche field right, and, right. and things like that, but kind of realizing, you know, I want to write and, and do something in that aspect. And then sports made such obvious sense to me. You know, I've been watching football since I was in like sixth grade or something and just have always, you know, as an only child, and so I kind of felt like it was a good thing for me and my dad to talk about a lot of the time. Uh, so it just all kind of fell together like that. And then I decided, you know, why not move to New Orleans and see how it goes? And I think it was really, you know, when I started doing that sideline work that I really like felt like I was on the right path. Like there was just something about being in the mix and going to training camps and going to practice, being on the sideline and really just getting that rush that, I never got it all in my old jobs. And that's when I realized, you know, I, I would, this is what I want to be doing. I don't know exactly what in this industry, but I know that, you know, football is where I'm supposed to be. Sounds like you've been a Saints fan for quite a long time. You mentioned writing for the Saints kind of uh, on the side in your own free time. How did that whole love for the Saints come about? Yeah. So my, I'm from the Bay area, but my mom is born and raised in New Orleans uh, my dad was from Cleveland, so pick okay. one or the other, and okay. we went Saints. Uh, and we did not go 49ers because of the previous division history with the Saints. Um, and then, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, Katrina happened, honestly. Right. Uh, my mom and I came down here in December of 2005 to volunteer. And I didn't really get it when I was watching it on TV because it was you know, almost inexplicable. But being on the ground here, seeing the immediate impact – and then seeing how, you know, it was kind of like a microcosm. We went back to California. I'm not living in this state of disarray, but I remember watching these games with my mom, watching my mom's reaction to the block punt, this like catharsis that was almost released. And, you know, that's really, I think, when I started to become a fan of it was really through this lens of the, the, Katrina and, and my family and, and what that meant to the city. Um and then, like I said, I, my dad and I just always liked to discuss it. I played soccer growing up. I've always liked sports, and he was my coach for a while, but really didn't want to do that. But we always liked kind of talking about the philosophical side of things almost. Uh, so we would just always kind of have these discussions uh, that were mostly centered on the Saints. But that's kind of when it started. And then, you know, I mean, obviously when they went to the Super Bowl, I think it was really when I started to pay attention more from mm -hmm. a what I'm actually trying to learn the game standpoint, because now I think I have to. Um, but yeah, that, it's kind of been since 2005-06, I'd say. That Super Bowl run and then winning that, I believe, was it 08 or 09? That had to be a kind of a great 2010. time. 2010. That had to be a great time for you as just a young fan, because you're realizing the team that I like, that I'm going to love, they're really, really good. I remember when they were undefeated, everyone was like, okay, no one really knew how to react because it's the Saints, right? right? right At the time, right. And we're like, this this has to stop. 
And I'll never forget that Dolphins game where they had like a 30 point comeback or something. Um, and it came on late through the fourth quarter on our television at home. And my mom screamed so loudly that my old cat like climbed up my face and like, <laughs> ran away because of that game. And so I just have this like very strong memory of that, but yeah. And then we used to have people over to have like saints parties and that championship game was the worst night of my life. To be honest with you, it was not fun. If people say, Oh, it's really fun to watch your team. And no, it's not. It's not fun to watch a game where there has to be a interception to send them to overtime and then to kick, you know, a field goal, which you can't do anymore. But you know, that it was not exciting until it actually went through the Florida effing Lee as, as Sean Payton put it after the game. Uh, and then I actually, my, my mom and uncle booked tickets here immediately. They're like, we're going to New Orleans. This is never going to happen again in our lifetime. Like, and it was the day before my birthday, I remember. And so I asked them to take me with them. Uh, so I was actually in New Orleans for that game went to Bourbon Street afterwards. Um, that was, I mean, there was a lot of hazy memories, but ones I certainly <laughs> won't forget. Yes, yes, I, I venture the memories were a little hazy there. Has football always been a sport that you've gravitated for towards when it came to writing? Yeah, uh, I'd say so. I, there really aren't other sports. I've grown to like basketball recently, um, but it was really soccer for me growing up. And then I okay. liked to watch football. Okay. Um, and that's kind of where I think, you know, I kind of started from a defensive side of things, which is, you know, ironic because the Saints defense, you know, until recently was kind of a sore spot. Uh, but I always kind of seemed to understand that side of the game more, but yeah, it's always been football to me. It's always kind of been, you know, my, my love sport. I just think it's, from an intellectual standpoint and just from, you know, an analytical standpoint, there's so much to go through from, you know, statistics to just really everything. There's coaches, relationships, history. I just think that there's so much beauty in the game of football. I always say like, you know, people say life imitates art, but I feel like life imitates sports a lot of the time. And, and football to me is really the epitome of that, uh, especially here. You know, I mean, if you're in Europe, it might be a different story, but yeah. yeah. In America, it's always really, you know, been football and it's always been, you know, a bonding experience for people. But there's just so much that you can talk about that. Yeah, it's really it's always been paramount for me. It may have been. and It's just me thinking, thinking out loud, which is what I do a lot on the podcast here. Your background from your previous job, how you're the legal, the legal side there. You still kind of had that part of you where it's a lot of detail oriented and you don't just go surface third and nine, no, two-yard gain, what happened? Not those short, quick explanations, but why did things not happen? Who was on the field? What were the details? What was leading up to it prior? Was was the coach or the coaching staff, offensive coaching staff, were there some things going on there that kind of derailed them in making the wisest decisions in the game? I think that may be a great tie-in. I don't know if that's how it was for you, but me listening to it, it kind of, it's, it's kind of me putting those two career paths together, and it, it really makes sense why – football for you because football is different than basketball like basketball is easy to describe um it's a beautiful sport to watch when mm -hmm. it's played at a, at a high level but you don't get all of the minute details those details that speak volumes in articles it, i just gather that maybe those two things come together in your writing oh yeah um i i really like having kind of um you know not a traditional background in this industry because i think that there are a lot of skills that can kind of bolster this industry that and I don't know I didn't go to school for journalism so I don't know what they're taught but you know I when I have a bachelor's in science so I had to really learn how to research um I think research is really you know where my best tools are I would say it's a blessing and a curse sometimes because I have tried to like purchase statistics software at some points and have to tell myself like you don't need a p-value to write a football article, you can just say that this is significant and you don't have to write a scientific paper about it. But right, right. I would definitely say like immediately coming into this industry, absolutely. Uh, not just from that detail oriented perspective, but I feel like going to grad school and having to write legal papers, you have to learn how to articulate yourself very clearly and persuasively at that. And so I feel like it awarded me enough confidence to kind of jump in 
head first and know that I'm, you know, confident in what I'm able to analyze, but also being able to explain that in a good way, be it through, uh, you know, a paper a writing or on radio. But yeah, I've always kind of looked at it as like an investigative standpoint, almost like I never really go into an article knowing that this is what I want to write. Sometimes that's the case, but sometimes I just have an idea. I do some research and I kind of see where that leads me. And that's where I think, you know, I, I really appreciate kind of my atypical background. Um, and just the fact that those things do play into sports as well. Um, you know, it really came in handy when Marshawn Lattimore got arrested uh, for that, you know, stolen gun charge mm -hmm. back last March. You know, I took criminal procedure for, at like a law school level as an independent study class. So it's like the one area that I feel confident in kind of speaking on and, you know, it was very helpful for me to be able to suddenly explain kind of what those things are. Uh, but from a psychology standpoint as well, I don't think people count psychology in sports enough, which is insane to me because yeah, yeah. it's all about it. Like you're a team working together. And so to think that the mental part of that doesn't matter, it, it's just nuts to me. And like, I think every team should have a sports psychologist, but also being able to explain things like, what a concussion does to someone's mental processing and how that affects their ability to recognize space and balance and things like that. So I think that there's, yeah, there's just a lot of kind of diverse perspectives that can be brought um, and a lot of transferable skills. And so that's just to say to people perhaps that are looking to go into sports, but don't have that kind of requisite background, I would say read a lot of football books but then take your skills and be ready to transfer them into this industry. Cause I think that fresh perspectives are really always helpful to bolster the discussion in general. You mentioned something very important and it came to my mind. I want to say it may have been in 2020. I forget when Marshawn Lynch played his last football game, but he had that press conference and he kind of was, he was using language that not everybody uses, take care of your mentals, take care of your chicken. And people were kind of taken back and laughing at that. But I talked to one of my friends about that same press conference. Actually, I um, sent the video to them so they could watch it. And we laughed, but we also were like, Marshawn Lynch is wise. He might not oh, look yes. like he might not look like he's wise to some. He might come across as goofy and Skittles. We get all of that. But for him to say that in the very last press conference he had in the National Football League, I think he understood the platform. I think he understood that he could reach so many more people at that time than he could even after a regular season game or um, even some other playoff games that he's played in. And so for him to even talk about like the mental side of it, you talk about the psychology of football and how concussions and things um, affect people while they're playing the football game and how they're able to process things, even so much just people, maybe people that don't have concussions, but they're still not all the way there mentally due to some things that happened previously in their life or just even how they process things as adults. I think Marshawn Lynch, that, that, that admonishment maybe or that, that warning or encouraging word that he gave, many people can realize the psychology is not just in football and not just, not just concussions, but it's everyday life. Take care of your money. Take care of your mentals. Because if you don't, as he said, he's seen so many people get out of this league and fall apart. Oh, yeah. And I mean, just not to get all hyper specific on concussions, I've had one, uh, but that also affects your mental health. I brought that up yes, as well. Yes. Like, like, Oh, he looks off. I'm like, he might have mild depression and anxiety because that's very common after experiencing a concussion. But yeah, that's that's also something to me where this is something that these guys have to perform. Not 24, I mean, but essentially 24 seven for, you know, this period of time in this season. And if you are having, you know, a bad mental health week, oh, well, kind of thing, you know, you still have to get up. Maybe you have a Thursday night game. Maybe you have to travel. You know, it, it's just you're, you're away from your family. Uh, you're taking hits and getting, even when you're injured, that can affect your mental health. But yeah, I mean, I feel like people are starting to kind of recognize mental health more, but it's only when it's in crisis. And so Correct. I think that's Correct. where I think you're right. And that Marshawn Lynch has a very good point, you know, take care of these things before you're in a state of crisis. And that's not to, you know, place blame on people because it's easier said than done. And a lot of people, you know, if you haven't had experience with mental health, it's almost kind of hard to realize sometimes that you're having issues with mental health and, and kind of parsing through that. And so that's where, you know, I also think there's a strategic perspective of having a sports psychologist, but I do think, yeah, like they could benefit 
from them just having a psychologist and yeah, taking care of money, you know, money is the number one stressor. It's the number one cause of, you know, like not to get all morbid, but like spousal murder, like it, money is what rules this world, unfortunately. And people are always so inexplicably taken back when these guys are, you know, bankrupt or broke after they went through the NFL. And then you realize, you know, would you have done better with that much money? Right. You'd like to think That's that you point. would, but w- would you not kind of flaunt it at first? I don't know how to manage money. I mean, for that reason, I would probably just give it to someone I trusted and say, don't let me handle this because I know that I really have impulse control issues and don't really know how to financially plan. But what are they supposed to take, you know, financial li- literacy classes in the middle of, of playing football? And then you get that one injury, you know, think of Tariq Cohen again and think of that story he wrote, how he just signed this guy. And my God, he just flew out his Achilles again the other day, like two days ago after the ACL. And it's like, he might not ever play again at this point, depending on how that heals. And so he has that one contract where he thought that was a lot at first, but you think the next one's going to come and then you get hurt, something happens, you get cut, and then you have bills to pay, you have debts that you have to pay off. And it, I just think, you know, it's kind of throwing stones at glass houses kind of thing where I think it's easy to put that on players, but until there are things set up for them that, and, it, and then it's kind of like almost emphasized more that it doesn't have to be, you know, one player or here or there saying, by the way, you guys should take care of your money. Like the NFL should have things in place to me, but it's expecting a lot, but yeah, I think that this sport continues to evolve. I do think it is promising that there is at least an acceptance of mental health, that people are starting to talk about it, because even 10 years ago, that wasn't the case, uh, that people are starting to, you know, we're getting there with concussions and CTE, but they're taken more seriously. And that's also a mental health thing. You know, I think CTE plays a huge role in a lot of these things. So yeah, I'm a big mental health person. I will always bring it up, but I think there's a lot of ways you can look at it. And I think that financial point is a good you know, aspect as well, especially with this whole NIL thing that we were talking about at the beginning. It's like you read my mind because I was going to go there next. I didn't plan on going back to college. I was planning on going somewhere else. But the money aspect we're talking about with college athletes, a million dollars, two million dollars. Like Sometimes an NIL deal might be a million dollars from things I have heard. There's a word on the street. I don't know if this is accurate, so don't People listening or watching, don't run out here and say Jay said Jordan Addison is making X amount of dollars. Word on the street is this young man got $3.5 million to go to USC. I don't know if that's accurate or not. If it is, good for his family, good for him. That's a big chunk of change for a kid in his early 20s to get. You talk about taxes. What about blowing the money that he gets right away? There's a young man at Texas, a B. John Robinson running back, has a deal with Lamborghini. I keep telling, I used to sell cars. Yeah, yeah, I know. I used to sell cars and I always found it weird when, I find it weird now, not so much then, but I find it weird now when car dealerships are giving 18, 19, 20 year old young men these expensive vehicles to drive, knowing they only have them for a short amount of time. And I'm like, okay, you might not be giving them anything money wise, monetarily, but it's still a vehicle that if the vehicle crashes, you're in charge of you have to fix or eat the money if you can't repair the vehicle you're giving young men a lot of money now granted i am a i understand why they have gone this way i understand the timing that the ncaa felt this was right for us to kind of get the monkey off our back to implement nil in the transfer portal when they did in 2021 however I don't think enough. I don't know much about what Tulane has set up for NIL with the athletes to help them in this way. But I don't think every NCAA school has the thing set up to help these young men and young women in this way. Because as they get this money, you talk about broke or the 30 for 30 for professional athletes. Let's talk about broke for college athletes because, one, they're getting a whole lot of money. And I know what I was doing at 18, 19, 20. Managing money? Oh, please ask my parents. I was not good at it. It just wasn't the thing. And now you're saying these same young people are getting that same money, that professional. They're getting paid more money than some of their coaches, most of their coaches. That's going to be a big deal. Mental health for professional athletes with injuries, talking about Tariq Cohen. What about the mental health for these young men when they realize a year after they're done playing college football, they're not the NFL because of injuries, and they don't have any money? 
Yeah, that's where, like when I said at the beginning, I uh, kind of agree with Nick Saban, but not because of mm -hmm. the reasoning of Nick Saban. I think that, <clears throat> like you said, this kind of had to happen and it involved, you know, changing, like, wasn't it a constitution, like bylaw thing where the NCAA, like it was ruled unconstitutional, something like that. Something like that, something like that. But uh, yeah, the fact that immediately there wasn't some type of committee established. Um, I say this all the time and it's, it's the same argument for me about student loans and how asinine I think it is that these private loan companies are essentially preying on teenagers that are not prepared to make lifelong financial decisions. You know, not again, I am going to get nerdy, but your brain doesn't finish developing until you're 25 years old. And I also think that is a huge okay, thing. Okay, I'm going to stop you right here. I'm going to stop you right here. Why do you think more people don't display or say that your brain does not stop developing until you're 25? Because most people think you're 18, 19, you're an adult. But as I've realized recently, I'm in my early 30s. Your brain is still developing into your mid, even to sometimes late 20s. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, again, I took neuroscience classes in college, so this is really honed into me. But that's why I always try to promote that. And it's all your frontal lobe. And that's where decision making for, you know, foresight, executive function, uh, impulse control, those are all in your frontal lobe. And so when that's the underdeveloped portion, that's where I have issue with student loans to these types of deals where, yeah, they just don't have their their brain is not fully developed to, to see long term to to have that impulse control to not make these flashy purchases and understand what that means five years down the line and i uh, you know especially for guys they're it, everything catches up once you're 25 but it's been said that they're about two years behind mentally than women until you reach 25 and so i always think about this as like 17 16 year old guys mentally signing these huge contracts and yeah like i don't expect them to be responsible with it because i wouldn't have been right just to be up front when i was that age um and, and it's and i wouldn't have known any better you know I, my parents would have probably said something but i'm lucky where you know i come from a, a somewhat a, you know not affluent but middle class background my, my dad is an attorney they, they would have made me manage my money but we're talking a lot about students kids, athletes that just don't have a good background, good opportunities. And so they're not, they're, their family's not going to be able to help that much in that aspect either. But yeah, I think it's like a Lamborghini. That's just to me, like, I get it. And I'm not going to judge people because that's right. really cool. Right. And, you know, you're an athlete. I, I get it. But I, I don't know what the solution is if it's a trust type thing, but some people need that money for their family. So it is really difficult, but yeah, the fact that there aren't advisors, I think that every school should have an advisor, that there should be some type of like central thing where they're required to go to some symposium or something and just learn about managing money. And that might be dragging a lot of kids through it that aren't going to listen. But if one or two kids listen, then that's hopefully going to start something. So yeah, I do think it is a big can of worms where I think that there is merit to some things that these coaches are saying. I just think that these coaches aren't coming from the perspective of what's best for the student athlete. It's what's best, you know, for me and my program. So that's where kind of their criticism comes from. But yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot to unpack there. So at least it seems to all be going in the right direction. I just hope that it isn't one of those things where there's like, to me, a lot of the time, not like an example, but a lot of the time there has to be that case where it goes really wrong for someone for people to realize kind of, you know, the dangers of this type of stuff. So I don't hope that's the case, but it's kind of like COVID, right? Where, you know, until an NFL player coach got it, no one was really paying attention to it in the NFL kind of thing. So I think until something goes poorly for a kid financially with these deals, why, why would you, you know, not accept them and not, you know, learn kind of how to invest and not spend that all at once when you're a, an athlete in the prime of your, life in college uh, it's just yeah it's big can of worms <laughs> yeah yeah it, always, it does always take that one example one person uh falling or being in that example where things change i i remember you say covid i go back to 2020 i told someone probably last year this time and i said i don't think the nba would have shut down or even the country would have shut down 
if it wasn't for Rudy Gobert testing positive and really the whole fiasco where they fiasco kind of a scene that he made rubbing his hands in the air over the microphone and then going back to the locker room after that press conference and he tested positive. I don't think the country or even the NBA would have reacted as swiftly as they, well, the country would have reacted as swiftly as it did if it wasn't for the NBA because of how big the NBA is in our country. If it was the NFL, I don't know how crazy things would have been. NFL is king. But the NBA was right there, end of the season, about to go into the playoffs, a very pivotal and important part of the season, of the year. And you're saying, no, this is more important than us continuing our season. And that, I think, spoke volumes to our country where it's like, we got one example. Do we want 1,000? Do we want 5 million? And the country ended up saying, let's halt this thing right now and move forward. So that one example we saw with the NBA, saw in the NFL, it's unfortunate. I do think we're going to have to have one example in college which sucks because these are kids, man. Like these are kids right. trying to live a life, trying to play a sport. And they know what we know. I don't know if they even think about this. One person is going to be an example and that person's going to change things drastically, but that person's also going to have a worse mental health situation for them because of the decisions that they have made. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a, like, I wouldn't say I'm a cynic, but again, you know, paralegal mom, lawyer, dad, it was always kind of worst case scenario thing. What is that? And that to me is, what this worst case scenario is, but you just think about everything. You know, I, I think it took what happened with Aaron Hernandez, for example, for them to yes. finally pay attention to CTE yes. kind of thing where someone has to kill someone and then kill, like kill themselves and have us study their brain in order to take seriously what people have been trying to say for years with Bob Costas got like blacklisted from whatever network for trying to bring up concussions. You know, it wasn't like that was a secret, but it just had to take the worst case scenario in order for them to finally face it. And so I hate to say that that's what's going to happen, but honestly, maybe the coach is making it about themselves and taking it in that direction. Maybe that'll actually work like, you know, lead to something. So maybe that's my wishful thinking here is if the top dogs are the ones fighting about it, then maybe there'll be some infrastructure put in and you kind of hope that that's, the case to come out of all of this because that would be much better than it like you said being a real human being that's going to have to deal with the consequences of this in order for everyone else to kind of see the picture i want to play devil's advocate really quickly because your boy likes likes to do that every now and then you mentioned the coaches kind of bat, kind of voicing their opinions and really putting this out on front street saban always does this this is nothing new with saban saban is always kind of voicing his opinion and then capitalizing on what other people cannot catch up with him with. I wonder if it needs to be a different coach. And I'm not disagreeing with you saying someone, a coach needs to speak up, but I don't know if Saban or Jimbo or even Dabo Sweeney are the coaches where people will be like, change needs to come. Is it Lincoln Riley? Is it a Ryan day? Is it Brian? I don't know. Is it Brian Kelly? I don't know. But I think if it's the same guy or two guys or three guys constantly saying stuff, it's kind of like when you're like at school and you're talking to somebody, but the teacher is talking, you hear the teacher, but you're not paying attention. We hear Saban. We hear Jimbo. We even hear Dabo Sweeney. But people don't really pay attention because it's the same thing over and over and over. It might need to be another coach that's at that elite level who says, look, we need to figure something out because if we don't, we're not only going to be able to monetarily really help these young men on the front end, but on the back end, we're going to really be having kids come back to us saying, I need help. I can't put Delonte what situation. I would hate for a young man, a young woman to come back to their college coach and say, coach, I, I don't have a place to sleep. I don't have, I can't put food on my plate. They're like what happened? I was young. I had this money and I blew it. Next thing you know, I am a Delonte West at this young age. I'm not making light of Delonte West. I'm not the kind of guy, but maybe it does need to be somebody else at that elite level, basketball as well, to be able to say, look, we need to change things to help these young athletes. I agree. I really do agree with that because, again, when it's coming from Saban, it's coming from a place of bitterness because he can't monopolize anymore. Correct. And I'm sure if he was the one that had the ability to give – all of these deals, we wouldn't be hearing a word from him. No, it's no. only because it's the one competitive edge that he's always had in recruiting. Now it is becoming more equitable, if not more skewed towards other schools. And so, yeah, it's it's like it's 
yeah, it's a kid that gets everything and then complains about something getting taken away. No one, no one feels bad. No one cares. And you know, these, uh, you still have the ability to recruit athletes and, you know, but I agree. I think it is. And I think it, let's say it was switched and, you know, we're saying that there's something perhaps going on with Texas A&M and the money they're giving, but perhaps instead of getting in this argument with Nick Saban, Jimbo would come out and said, we are really excited about, I don't I, I honestly don't know like what's going on with them. I'm yeah. just saying as a hypothetical, like let's say you came out and said, you know, we are having all these deals be signed and that's fantastic. But our next step is going to be implementing them learning, you know, about financial advisors, about financial literacy, because the worst thing to happen. So I, yeah, I think it almost has to come from someone in a position of strength here to say, we have these resources and we're going to provide them, but we understand like with great power comes great responsibility. And we have a responsibility here to these kids. It's not about us. It's not about the fact that these kids might make money, more money than us. Um, Okay. These coaches, over the span of their career, they've definitely made more money than these guys are making, you know, in these one-off deals. And they have, you know, at this point, perpetuity and ability to leave coaching, go to another school, go into media or something. You know, I'm not worried about those guys having monetary issues. So I, I think it is someone that has to kind of step up, someone that has the ability to sign these players to say, this is something that we need to do. And something that we need to implement. Um, and, you know, while I brought up Arch Manning before and how I do think that's the crux of this thing, I really do feel like he is a good pendulum switch because, yes, he he is a Manning, so money is not an issue to him. But it's the way that he has just been so moved so quietly yeah. in this process. And, yes, it's like where in the world is Arch Manning going? But it's, he's not doing this to create some secret mystery you know, it's he still wants to be a kid and he wants to make the decision that's best for him and not what's best for everyone in the moment kind of thing. And I, I think if we all just kind of took a step back and I think it's going to be hard for kids to ignore that type of money. But I think those schools that have that ability that also say we can get you these deals, but we also want you to be prepared in the long run. That's really where I think schools are going to pull ahead in that sense and not set their kids up for failure because they could start blowing through that money through the season. Yeah. And and then they're stressed out mid season and it affects their playing. And that's unfortunately a lot of the time, what gets the people going is when it affects on the field performance, but hopefully someone has a foresight to not let it get there before they, that ends up happening. And it, it could be former players. Like I think everyone should read that to recall piece. I think, Every single person that follows a sport should read that piece and see what it really is like behind the curtain. Because again, you think about how much an NIL deal would have helped him, but it was also so clear that his family, you know, he had to move elsewhere. His family was in disarray. It's not like it would have just solved every problem for them immediately. It might've solved things in, in a very short term sense, but what happens when that money runs out? What happens when you've had to pay the house bill, when you've had to help, pay for stuff for your brothers where you have medical bills, you know, life happens. And that also puts kids in an uncomfortable position to me. Like what happens if their family needs that money and they want to save it? Then what? So I think there's a lot of awkward, weird things that are getting kind of pushed behind these cool, like you said, Lamborghini photo shoots, which is really cool. But I think, yeah. We'll just have to see how it plays out. <laughs> I'm right there with you. We're out of time. I had other stuff to do, but that conversation was too good to pass up. I, did, I know the importance of mental health, the importance of not really being prepared for things. You're a young person. You're not really, like you said, fully developed in the brain to really be the best you can be when it comes to making wise decisions. But you mentioned something, and I'm going to make this tie it in with women in sports. You mentioned you hope there are things that people put in place to help solve things. Somebody steps up. How can things get better for a female in sports like yourself? Huh. Um, it's hard, right? Because I think this offseason has been a very hard offseason to be a woman in. Um, for example, uh, we could not tweet things like, 
this is why Deshaun Watson wanted his day in court so he could prove his innocence when it's a grand jury proceeding and that has nothing to do with proving your innocence or guilt. So I think we could start by using correct language in every facet, um, but not prioritizing football at the expense of women, not using women as a punching bag, like the Browns saying, we asked our wives and daughters for permission. What? They, wait, whoa, whoa, they said that? Oh, yeah. They were like, we wouldn't have traded for this, but we asked the wives and the daughters. So, A, now you put this on the wives and daughters who what? They're going to say, oh, no, we're going to blow this up so everyone can come yelling at us. Like, why, what on earth? And then am I supposed to feel better about that decision coming from you guys? I think if we were more just transparent in general, quite honestly, and said, we don't like what he's been accused of, but we need a quarterback. So we are going to deal with these proceedings. We believe that this is something that we can put parameters in so it does not happen again. But to say, oh, it's fine because the women in our family okayed this and we investigated this and did our due diligence. Okay. I think we could stop using that word as well. But it's it's little things. It's just using the correct terminology. I was I did this piece uh, where I was asking my take on, you know, the, using the word girl versus women. And it's something I have to kind of think about now too. But you think about it, you wouldn't say boys basketball, like you'd say girls basketball or girls soccer. You know, it's always been men's soccer, men's basketball, and then football is just football. Uh, but I think that we could also, you know, I see all these things to help diversity in the NFL. And I think they could be doing way more of that in general, mm -hmm. but why isn't there any type of stuff put in place for women? Why is there not a coaching summit for women? Because that's, to me, it's hard because we don't have the ability to have played the sport most of the time. There's some exceptions. There's Correct. a girl that was the kicker for Vanderbilt, but we're already at a disadvantage in that aspect. And so when you're trying to cover it, you have to really learn all those intricacies that I think a lot of guys just take for granted growing up playing peewee football, playing on the O-line, learning all the calls, and then just kind of letting things go from there. And so I think there could just be more opportunity for women to actually get into the league itself because there's what, like two or three female coaches at this point. That's really, it's awesome. it really like is that, great. Yeah. But you know what? Are we only allowed to cover the sport? Because if that's the case, then we're still kind of not being equal here. Uh, so I just think that in general, using the correct language, uh, not asking women to give their opinion on sexual assault cases and, well, what about Ben Roethlisberger and what about this? You know, why am I required to open up my wounds and give my opinion on this? You know, it just feels kind of like this demand for our perspective and then our perspective is often thrown in our face when it doesn't line up with what they want in terms of a conclusion. And so I think just empathy towards the fact that you might not understand and I think we could all learn a lesson from that in a lot of ways, from racial things to like LGBTQ things. It's just, if it's not something affecting you, then maybe take a step back and realize that you might not understand all of the things that go into that perspective, but you're willing to give that perspective the benefit of the doubt. So I think just kind of respecting our voice for what it is and the fact that it is a fresh perspective. And I think that there's nothing wrong with the fresh perspective uh, but I really do think that there should be more women actually on the field and not just as sideline reporters. You know, I really like sideline reporting and Tulane is great. You know, I really, it's not just this gig where I'm in the corner giving injury updates. You know, I'm really able to give analysis. It really helped me get confidence in myself. But I know that, you know, that's really the only area for girls to go into to try to be on in field action. So I think that that's really, I, I think, where this sport needs to go is having more women in the NFL in the league. We'll end it with that. Not, no, we're not going to try to go any further with that one. I could, we can go for an hour and a half. Trust <laughs> me, I, we can just keep going. Thank you so much. I literally mean this. Thank you for coming on. Um, that conversation about mental health was one that I think is needed right now. Um, I wish I heard more about this when I was a young kid, literally a kid, elementary school age, grade school because it wasn't talked about when I was younger and I understand more of the importance of it now. And I'm gradually learning as I get older, how people around me, they're struggling in ways you can't see because they don't want to show how vulnerable they are. Thank you, Maddie. Where can people follow you on Twitter? And then where could they write, 
write. Read some of the things you have written and then I'll maybe catch some of the Tulane games as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Twitter, Maddie Hudak. Uh, yes, like Hudak. It's Maddie Hudak underscore nine four. Um, and I, I link most of my stuff, but it's on Saints Wire uh, for USA Today. And then, uh, yeah, Tulane uh, is on 104.1 spot during the season. But usually if you find me on Twitter, you can kind of find everything else uh, from there. But I do want to say thank you for this conversation as well. I Anytime that I think this can be put into the fold of sports, especially in the offseason where it's really kind of the time to do it. Uh, so I appreciated it as well. Maddie, this was fun. Had to have you back on again down the road. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Wow. Just wow. I love sports, but every now and then I know there are times that there are conversations that are bigger than sports. Things that go on off the field that affect things that go on on the field. And the conversation Maddie and I had about mental health was so important. It's one that I encourage everyone to encourage somebody else to listen to. Not just because I want to promote the podcast, but simply because I believe we can all get something out of that conversation that Maddie and I had. Women in Sports Month, it's not over yet. We have one more week. Come back. Yes, the holiday is coming up a week from today, but the podcast is not taking a hiatus. We will keep on rolling on and end Women in Sports Month with a bang. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. You can follow Maddie Hudak on Twitter at maddiehudak underscore 94. You can send all of your emails to jstevenspod at gmail.com. Make sure if you're a Spotify or Apple Podcast listener to hit that subscribe button and also leave a five-star review. It's a great way, it's a free way to help the show grow. This has been episode 246 of the Jay Stevens Podcast. I will see you all next time.